0: This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Have you heard about the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program? The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leading experts in the field to bring you ROC, the online learning platform developed for U.S. residency programs. Free to residents, ROC empowers you to build a foundation to prepare you for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. And remember, access to the ROC content is free for residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. Hello, everybody, and welcome to part two of our two part episode on disability insurance featuring Larry Keller. We hope that you all enjoyed part one a lot and that we're going to come and wrap things up here in part two. Again, this was super informative. He is very knowledgeable in the subject and we talk about a lot of things. So if you want to figure out or if you want to learn a little bit more about disability insurance, click the link in our description. We will have a link to uh, Larry's website if you want to reach out to him as well as his phone number and different ways to reach him. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into today's episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast
1: featuring Doctors Jay Fitz
0: and Wendell Cole. And so one of the things that we talk about is, is or at least said that one of the riders is a catastrophic disability. And I'm assuming this is a disability that we all think of when we think about disability, being in a wheelchair, et cetera. And you can yes. correct me if I'm wrong, but is that kind of what we're, what we're thinking about?
1: Pretty much. So this is another rider. You might find a basic catastrophic rider. Or you might find an enhanced catastrophic rider. But at the end of the day, it really says... You know, you're disabled to the point that you need help with two or more of the activities of daily living. And they're bad. You know, bathing, eating, dressing, toileting, maintaining continence, or transferring from bed to chair. Not only are you going to get your base benefit, but now we're going to give you an additional benefit because you've met the definition of catastrophically disabled. And the theory is you're going to use your base Policies, benefits to maintain your lifestyle and your expenses. And you're going to use the catastrophic money to hire someone to help you do the stuff that you used to do on your own, either physically, or it could be that you need what we call substantial verbal queuing. Like physically, you can do it. You just don't know to do it. So now I have to tell you, and if I don't give you this cueing, you don't have the capacity to be able to process that. Now, the basic catastrophic rider does not necessarily read the way I just described. The enhanced catastrophic rider reads like this. And then some companies, it's just known as the catastrophic rider. So I would just urge people to know, if you're considering the catastrophic rider and you have an option of basic versus enhanced, understand that the basic is just less comprehensive and it's a higher hurdle to clear than what the basic is. The catastrophic rider is for someone that says, I'm already buying the most that I can. Right. I'm looking for that extra level of coverage in the event Just something guess. really bad happens to me. But that's the first thing I would also leave off if budget is an issue. But again, that's my opinion.
0: Ah, okay. And so say for example, you know, you're you're not the healthiest person, say you're, you know, you're 30 or you're 35 finishing up residency or finishing up fellowship and you're finally getting ready to do your disability stuff and get set up. You know, diabetes is is really bad, uncontrolled. You're not the healthiest person. You know, what if somebody's not healthy and has like pre-existing medical conditions and wants to get disability insurance? Are there a bunch of hurdles that they have to go about or can they even get disability insurance? Can you kind of take
1: us through that? Yeah. So generally you would have to make it over some pretty big hurdles. And using your example of diabetes, I'm going to say type one, you really got a pretty bad hand of cards. And as a general rule, you're really not going to be able to get high quality disability insurance like what we've been talking about. But lately, we see a lot of what's known as guaranteed standard issue plans. Or remember, we love those acronyms, GSI plans, at a lot of different institutions. And what these are, are the same individual policies that you and I have just talked about in detail. However, they do not require medical underwriting. So there's no prescription drug check. We don't even ask about bills. So if BMI is an issue, or let's just say you don't meet the criteria that the insurance companies deem to be normal, doesn't matter. We don't even ask. If you participate in hazardous activities, you know, like rock climbing, mountain climbing, private piloting, none of that stuff is taken into consideration. We don't even ask. So you've got a couple of companies that most of them are the same players that we talked about too. You know, Berkshire, which is Guardian, Standard Insurance Company, Emeritus, Ohio National, Principal has some of these and they don't require medical underwriting. So it's the same policy. It's going to be discounted. A lot of the parameters are kind of predetermined. So if you say, well, hey, I want benefits that are going to pay me to the age of 70. I would probably say to you, you know, we're not going to be able to get age 70, but you can get benefits until the age of 67, or you can have benefits to the age of 65. So some of the places that have these and the companies will vary, but for the most part, they're all going to be own occupation. They're all going to be individual policies. They're completely portable. What gets you into them is your Affiliation in terms of the institution at the time in which you are applying for them. So I use a couple of big orthopedic programs: Rothman Institute, you know, in Jefferson, in uh, Pennsylvania. There's a GSI plan there. NYU Medical Center, Mount Sinai Hospital, Mayo Clinic, University of Iowa, University of Kentucky. And literally between these companies, there's probably more than a hundred institutions that offer them. Now, one of the most important things is if you have a medical condition, you really need to do your homework and find out if a GSI plan exists in your institution. A general rule is if you apply with an insurance company and you are offered a modified policy. So, let's say, you know, orthopedic surgeon, you probably went into orthopedic surgery because you were a sports guy and maybe you had shoulder surgery. But as a result of that sure surgery, you had pins and screws and anchors placed. And it's permanent. I can tell you across the board, any company is going to say, we're happy to insure you, but we are not going to cover disabilities resulting from disease, disorder, treatment, or complication related to, let's say, your right shoulder. Well, if you apply to a company generally, and they offer this to you, and now you go back to try to get the GSI plan, it might very well be off the table. Yeah. So why, if
0: it's the same, if it's the exact same things as we talked about before and can have the same benefits, why would somebody just not go for the guaranteed standard issue plan from the jump and not have to include all their medical information and whatnot? Why not, why just not do that from the jump? That way don't have to ask anything about your medical problems.
1: Yeah. I mean, the nice thing is the GSI plans are really a shortcut to the system. Like it takes something that could take Weeks or months and turns it around to literally days. The limits are a little lower. So instead of being able to reach, and we'll talk about this, you know, $20,000 a month or $30,000 a month, the GSI plans typically cap out at either $10,000 a month or $15,000 a month. But that doesn't mean you could get lucky. You could do your residency in hospital A that has a GSI plan with company X. And then you do your fellowship at another institution that has a GSI plan with a different insurance company. You could literally stack GSI plans on top of each other. Or you might be in great health and you're like, you know what? I'd like to just shortcut the system and get my policy as fast as possible. You can buy a GSI plan. And once it's approved, you can then apply medically to either the same company or another insurance company. But as a whole, you're right. So I'm going to go with a different direction if there's a GSI plan in my hospital, why would an agent or broker not tell me about it? Because that's really what it comes down to. Right. And the reason they won't tell you about it is these GSI plans are exclusive offerings. They're typically owned by a certain agent or a certain agency, which just think of that as a group of agents. And the only people that can use it are the people that own the GSI or the people that the person were. Persons that own the GSI let others use it. Otherwise, the conflict of interest with the other agents is if we tell you about it and you buy that, we're not going to be compensated in most cases. So now you've got these agents that are never going to tell you about this conflict of interest and they're going to come up with reasons as to why you should not purchase the GSI plan, even though it may be in your best interest. So let's just say you met Agent A. Maybe it was me. And I told you, oh, you know, you had prior shoulder surgery. You've got, you know, pins, screws, and anchors in your shoulder. You're going to get an exclusion rider. And you're like, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I got the mind of the doctor, but I've got the body of the construction worker. I don't want my shoulder excluded. I'd be like, look, I can get you a GSI plan, and your shoulder's going to either be covered right away or if there's a pre existing condition limitation. Worst case scenario, if you had treatment for it recently or took a medication recently, typically three months prior to the effective date of your GSI plan, and you become disabled within 12 months of owning that GSI policy from that condition, we're not going to pay. But after a year of owning that, even a pre-existing condition is covered. Well, from a risk management standpoint, conceptually, of course, you'd want to have your shoulder covered. Like it's already an area where you have a potential problem. Right. Yeah. So it makes all the sense in the world. There's some other reasons why you might want a GSI plan too. We'll talk about that a little bit also. But I have a lot of clients where they have a condition, whether it's a mental health issue, like anxiety, depression, ADD, ADHD, And now they can buy a policy that's either going to have a very limited period of time where they're not covered, or they might be covered for that on a limited basis, like typically two years over their lifetime on a GSI plan, right out of the gate. Like, why would you not want that if that was an option? Yeah, I mean,
0: those are my thoughts. (laughs) Those are my thoughts. And I'll actually be going to NYU next year for, or I guess this year for fellowship. So glad that that's on the list.
1: (laughs) There's even one in your (laughs) hospital now, believe it or not. Really? Didn't even know that. And the companies are different. So where you are now has one company and where you're going have it has another company. So you would be the perfect example as to where you could double up on GSI plans and you're rocking and rolling and you could get to a higher level of coverage by combining the two than you could by buying one.
0: Since we're already talking about it, that's one of the things we were going to talk about is, is was getting multiple plans or multiple disability insurance plans. How often are people doing that? When should you do it? Should I be doing it? Well, let's just start with there. So how often are you seeing people have multiple plans and when should you consider getting multiple plans?
1: Yeah, I would say most of my higher income earning physicians do multiple plans and typically they're doing it from the get-go. So this is going to typically be orthopedics, plastics, neurosurgery, because your income potential is so high. Now, any one company will generally go up to 20,000 a month or 30,000 a month. If it's a GSI plan, even though the company's limit might be 30,000, the GSI plan might have a cap of 15,000. So very often you're combining companies to potentially reach a higher level of coverage than any one policy or any one company would allow. That being said, sometimes we're combining companies to allow for additional flexibility, right? For example... As a resident, generally, you're eligible for $5,000 a month of coverage. Now, this is how much we're going to pay you, certainly not what you're going to pay us. So you might say, you know what? I'm going to buy a $4,000 policy from company A, and I'm going to do that with an F. And generally, the F rider is going to have a three times multiple of the base policy. So if I buy $4,000, three times the four is another 12, I could potentially get to $16,000 a month, four plus the 12 FIO rider. Simultaneously, I could buy a policy that has a B option and we don't use a multiplier. So for example, one of the companies, I could buy a $1,000 policy as a resident and I could crank that up all the way up to $30,000 a month, never having to do another exam, blood test, urine test, or answer any medical question. So I might actually combine $4,000 a month with a company that has an F. With a thousand dollars a month with a company that has a D. So I'm starting at the same five thousand. Policy number one could take me up to sixteen. Policy B can take me up to twenty or thirty thousand. Now I'm really pre-approved for up to potentially what, forty-six thousand dollars a month? never having to do another exam, blood test, urine test. Currently, no matter how much money you make, the traditional carriers will not give you more than 30000 But if you're pre-approved for 36000 or 46000 and one of those companies changes their limits in the future, you're golden. So I like the idea of combining companies very much. So when would you not combine? Now, you're a simple guy. You're like, look, Larry, my specialty makes a lot of money. If I can't live on fifteen or twenty thousand dollars a month, I got bigger problems. Like I'm just, <laughs> I'm good where I am. I'm used to living on sixty grand, sixty-five grand then you don't need to do it. Obviously, if you're in a lower paying specialty, it wouldn't make sense to do it. And if you're a PA or a nurse practitioner, again, you'd really have no reason to do it because there's no reason to have the ability to get to a level of coverage where your income is just never going to allow.
0: Right. For those listening, when you're talking about the S, we're talking about the future increase insured ability option where you can pay to increase your coverage into B's where the benefit update rider that could be, you know, added to each policy. Correct. And so we do have some army or some military, the people that listen to this podcast as well.
1: Anything special about the active duty military surgeons? Absolutely. So the active duty military surgeons, there's only one traditional carrier that's going to offer them coverage. You know, and that's going to be Mass Mutual. Now, what's really nice about MassMutual, whether it's a resident, fellow, or practicing active duty surgeon, there's a permanent 25% discount available to them in all states, New York being the exception. So if you're an active duty surgeon and you're not in the state of New York, you will get a 25% discount that'll apply not only to what you start with, but anything you ever add in the future. MassMutual happens to be a company that makes it both available the future insurability option rider and the benefit increase rider. So you can have the F or the B. Now, military residents are limited to $2,000 a month. So the issue with the military resident buying a policy with an F is if we start with two, the three times multiplier is only another six. Six and two gets you to eight. To get to 8,000 a month, you got to be making about 180,000 a year. Go find me a civilian orthopedic surgeon that's going to make $180,000 a year or less. It's not going to happen. They're going to be substantially over that. So typically for my active duty military resident, I will do a B rider with Mass Mutual and that will allow them to get up to $20,000 a month, even though they're only allowed to start with a maximum of $2,000 a month.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, that that, that makes perfect sense. And another thing found in at least when we were looking on this, and we have a lot of listeners that are females. And so one thing that I was reading was saying that for females, you want they may want kind of a, a gender non gender specific policy, or that sometimes females get charged more for policies than men. Can you kind of talk a, a little bit about that going looking kind of from the female mindset on disability insurance?
1: Yeah. Well, I could tell you the female mindset initially is gonna be like, Oh my God. I can't believe that the insurance companies can charge this much for us and get away with it. Right. You know, like how can you discriminate against, you know, like me and my male counterparts, like, you know, we did the same schooling, we're in the same training programs. Mm -hmm. Very true. Now, here's the issue with them is they become pregnant and they go out on claims as a result of pregnancy and complications of pregnancy. There's a higher rate of autoimmune disorders among females than there are males. So that's going to increase, you know their disability claims. Uh, and then there's a higher rate of autoimmune disorders among females than there are males. So as a rule, general rule, the costs for females on a disability policy are fifty to sixty percent higher than males. Now, currently, there's a few workarounds to this. The first workaround, Is what you said, is if I can go out and get a unisex or a gender neutral rate, so think of this as a hybrid rate between men and women, how do I do that? Well, the first way of doing it is in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, there was a bill passed about three years ago. And of the companies, half of them currently offer unisex rates, half of them don't. So what does this mean? As a guy, I generally don't want a unisex rate policy. As a female, that's all I want. Right. As a female, I would say you really should be looking at companies that have a unisex rate available. Now, some of the companies that have unisex rates available currently are changing their product and that is not going to be available in the next couple of months. So if you're a female and you're listening to this and you are in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, it is time to start doing your homework because what's available today might not be available in the not too distant future. The second time that you can get a unisex rate is certain guaranteed standard issue plans have unisex rates built into them. Now, one of the companies that has unisex rates now, Emeritus, in the majority of states, they're going to be changing again in the next couple of months. So if you have the ability to get a unisex rate via a GSI plan, I would start doing my homework now because once you have it, any increases you make to it are also going to have unisex rates. The next time that you find it is certain mass mutual agents in certain institutions currently have unisex rates available. They're exclusive discounts. They're unique to them. This is going to be going away in the next few months also. So a lot of change going on in the next couple of months. So if you're a female, I implore you to start doing your homework now. It doesn't mean you have to buy anything now, but you've got the best chances of getting unisex rates between now and the next few months. The other places that you'll find it, one company, specifically if you are in the state of Ohio, anytime a discount is used, you can get unisex rates. That is going to be going away as well. And if you're in the state of Montana, all policies in Montana have unisex rates. For better or for worse, according to that same Medscape survey that I referenced earlier, In orthopedics, as far as physicians go, only 11% of orthopedic surgeons are females. So it's a low number. But if you're in that 11%, you're 100%. You don't care how low that number is. You care about you.
0: Yeah. Very true. Very true. Yes. For our female uh, listeners who have not gotten disability insurance, uh, please start to look. You know, one of the things, you know, from our standpoint, again, we don't, we're not really taught a lot of this stuff going through schooling. And then, you know, you get sent four different policies from four different companies. And how do you, when you're trying to like compare policies, what are, I guess are some big things to, to keep in mind?
1: So the first thing that I would say, we talked a little bit about this before we recorded, man, you are better than a spreadsheet. If, if you're not getting insurance company generated illustrations of coverage, which really deeply outline what the policies cover and don't cover. And you're getting a one pager from an agent that has like an insurance company logo on it. You know, it might talk about like a Cola Rider, yes, or a Cola Rider, you know, 3% versus up to 6% compounded. A spreadsheet is a tool, and a spreadsheet is something that is not created by the insurance company, it's created by the agent trying to sell you something. And I might have something in my mind that I deem to be important that you don't deem to be important at all, or you don't have enough experience with this stuff to be able to know you should be even asking about. So what would I do? I would look for an agent that's going to provide you with illustrations of coverage for multiple companies. They're going to give you the actual illustrations of companies that are generated by the software that the insurance companies created and provide. I would want to know how long has the agent been in the industry? Ironically, I don't know, if you looked at your medical school class and you look at the number of people that started with you versus the number of people that graduated with you, I would imagine the percentage is probably pretty high, no? Correct. And if somebody's gonna leave, I would submit to you that they probably would leave pretty early. Like, no, I should have been a dentist. I should have been a veterinarian. I should have been an MBA. This is not for me. My industry, according to a LIMRA survey, the dropout rate after four years is 89%, or better yet, the retention rate after four years is 11%. So if you're in a long training program and you're going to do at least one fellowship, hopefully that's enough for you, but some do two or three fellowships, right? and you're meeting someone that's really new in the industry and they're not being mentored by somebody that's been in the industry for a long time... There's a really good chance that by the time you need them, they're not around. So I would look for someone that's really familiar with multiple companies, that's going to show you multiple options, that's going to walk you through them, that has credentials. Now, these days, I see a lot of people in my industry, I'm going to call them internet salespeople. You go on, you request your quotes, you get the spreadsheet that I described. Nowhere can you find their bio. You barely know what their name is. And when you find that, you are not paying anything more to that person in the insurance premium than you are to a guy like me that's been around a long time, that has a lot of experience. I mean, even in your world, they say a seasoned surgeon is five years. Mm -hmm. In my world, I say, if I can deal with the guy that created the procedure, patented it, and is teaching other physicians how to do it. Where I can deal with the guy that doesn't even know that that procedure exists, let alone why I would do it. Why would I ever go with that guy? You're the top of the food chain. Like You literally can pick any insurance agent, any financial advisor, any accountant, any attorney that you want. So it doesn't take a lot. I mean, I will tell you guys listening to this, you listen to this podcast, then you get insurance quotes, you ask a couple of questions by email or otherwise, Maybe all in is listening to this podcast, reviewing quotes. Maybe you're in for an hour and a half or two hours. This is the most important insurance policy you are ever going to buy in your life. If you buy car insurance, that's not for you. That's for somebody else. You buy malpractice insurance, that's not for you. That's for somebody else. This literally is the thing that can keep you alive financially or not. So if there's any time to put into this, you want to do it up front. You don't want to do it on the back end. I review enough policies and I break enough bad news to people. They're like, well, what do you mean I don't have own occupation? I'm like, no, you don't. If you choose to work and you make money, you might find your benefits reduced or eliminated. Larry, that can't be true. I was told it was own occupation. Right. I'm like, well, let me show you in your policy where this is. So what would I look for? All of these policies for the most part are very similar. Other than cost, these are the big three things. Number one, most orthopedic surgeons, I would say, are probably not overly concerned about this, but mental or nervous conditions. So what happens if you're disabled and it's a result of anxiety, depression, stress, chemical dependency, drug addiction? Some policies are going to limit these claims to two years. Could be two years over your lifetime. It might be two years per episode of disability it could be five years over your lifetime. If you're already on an SSRI or you have ADD, ADHD, and you're going through medical underwriting, you are going to get an exclusion rider for those types of claims anyway. Where we're going to pay you nothing, even though the illustration of coverage says we're going to pay you something because that's not tailored specifically for you. During underwriting, the underwriter would come to you and say, We're not going to be able to provide any coverage for this due to your pre-existing condition. So if you are taking Adderall, Vyvanse, you have ADD, ADHD, you're seeing a therapist, you have anxiety, you have depression. If there's a GSI plan available, you want to find that right away. At least you're going to get two years of coverage for that. If you don't care and you're like, I'm okay with the limitation, Certain companies are going to have a limitation as long as you don't have a medical history of that. So you can choose to have a limitation or you can choose unlimited coverage, and that's going to lead you from one company potentially to another. The second one is, let's say you're a visa holder. I see this one so much, it's almost horrifying. If I'm a H-1B visa holder and I'm in the majority of states and I become disabled in the United States and now I have to leave to go back to my country of citizenship or maybe I was visiting family overseas, but I have tickets to come back within 31 days of the time that I left. There is one company that will continue to pay you benefits overseas under those scenarios. Other companies are either going to limit this or they're not going to cover this at all. They're going to give you an exclusion rider. So if I'm a visa holder and I have the ability to have my benefits continually paid with no limitation overseas, why would I ever opt for something different? And when you get these spreadsheets, I've seen them all. I guarantee you none of them are going to say what happens if you are disabled and choose to reside overseas.
0: So yeah, I don't even think of
1: that. No, well that's my job, right? Same way I <laughs> I, I wouldn't think of I'm really having a lot of trouble, you know, like pitching. I don't know. Do I need any kind of surgery? And you're like, oh man, that's Tommy John surgery. That's easy. Every pitcher gets that. Yeah. So that's what you find. And then you want to look at the type of increase option. We said maybe you're going to go with an F, a future increase option, or a future insurability option. Maybe you're going to go with a B, a benefit increase rider, a benefit update rider, a benefit purchase rider. Maybe you're going to combine the two. But you should know what you're getting. I mean, I see people where they're getting pitched with a B rider and they don't understand that they must check in and they must buy a minimal amount of coverage if they're offered it. And then they check in, they get the offer and they're like, I don't want to buy anymore. And I'm like, well, if you don't buy more, you're going to lose your increase option. I don't remember that. Right. So, you know, you really got to do your homework up front.
0: This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. If you're an orthopedic resident, it's time to start building the foundation to be prepared for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leaders in the field to bring you the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program. ROCK is an all in one online learning platform covering 11 subspecialties. You can access the content for free at ROCK.AAOS.org. This platform delivers a comprehensive, structured, standardized curriculum and even includes self-assessment quizzes and performance analytics. And remember, residents never pay to access rock content. Get started today at rock.aos.org. Yeah, yeah. And these are all things, you know, I've, I've learned probably more in the last day and a half about disability that I've known before. And I got, you know, my disability insurance like years ago. You know, I didn't really know much, you know, again, we're, you know, most of us, we don't learn this stuff in the school. You know, you're told like, oh, this this is a pretty good policy. We're like, all right, cool. We'll go ahead and do that policy because you know you had to get disability insurance. So yep. I'm, I'm glad we're going over all these different, these, these different topics. And, uh, and you mentioned before, you know, you, the agent that you work with, you want them to have, you know, options to multiple different companies. And then you also want them to be like a CFP or a certified financial planner as well. You want them to be around ideally for a little bit, you know, a little bit longer than a couple years in the
1: game. Yeah. I mean, general rule of thumb is if we have letters after our name, you got to be in the the industry long enough to be able to get them. There's a time requirement in order to be able to use them. I remember my parents, and I don't deal with family members the same way you don't want to deal with family members. And I remember my parents said, well, Larry, you know, we're meeting with this financial planner and we're going to talk about all of our stuff. And I'm thinking, thank God you didn't call me. Because I don't want to do it. And I said, Well, you know, when you meet with this guy, you know, you really should ask, What are their credentials? And the first question they said is, You know, we don't see any letters after your name. Are you working towards any certifications or professional designations? And you know what the guy's answer was? I don't need that. I'm too busy meeting with clients and changing their lives. And really, what that should say is, No, I really don't have an interest in my education level to better my clients' lives, I just want to go out and sell stuff, you know? So if you don't see it or someone says that they're not working towards something, to me, that's just showing that you don't have a dedication to your profession.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that's that's true. And you mentioned a little bit earlier about at least getting benefits if you move overseas. Now, a lot of us we train, you know, in residency for X amount of years and then you may go to a fellowship, which may be in a different state. Now, you may end up practicing in a completely different state. And uh, we talked the other day a little bit and you mentioned, that, well, if you're going to other places that you kind of need to keep in mind the disability insurance, but what can you kind of take us through, you know, if you're switching states after training, what that has to do anything with disability insurance?
1: Yeah. So certain certain states, I would say, are bad. Bar none, the most expensive state is California. So if you said, Hey, Larry, you know, I'm here now, but I'm going to go be doing my fellowship in Curl and Job, I would be like, You need to buy your policy before you go to California. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. If you're in California now and you're leaving California, policies in California are the most expensive and the least liberal. So now you might want to reevaluate your policy if you're still healthy to see if you could even buy the same policy from the same company for less money with more liberal benefits. A lot of guys, you know the deal, they check it off, they stick it in the drawer, I'm done. They never look at it again. Yeah. You know? Like me. <laughs> yeah, you really, you really have to do that. Certain policies, when you exercise the increase option, you got to be careful. So some of them, they're going to issue a new policy for the additional coverage when you exercise either your FIO or your BIR or BU or BPR. Other ones are not going to do that. And they're just going to layer onto your existing policy what you bought. So one company says, well, hey, look, if you bought your original policy in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, that's great. When you go to buy more, if you're in California, you're getting a California policy with California premium rates. It's not so good. So if you can avoid that, you might want to do two different policies with two different companies, one that does it one way, one that does it another way, assuming like one policy that you really like a lot is not very favorable if you move to California. But another one that you like, but just not quite as much, is better if you move to California in terms of the way the increase option works. So that can work particularly well. But California is really the one to avoid. Florida is also another one, but it's not quite to the same extent. The two of the companies if you buy it in Florida it's no different than if you bought it in another state but i would say first and foremost if you're in California and you're leaving reevaluate if you're not in California and you're going do your research before you leave and
0: you can have a you can buy a a policy for example say when you live in Georgia and if you move somewhere else, you don't need to, do you need to do anything as far as talking to the company or anything like that or you're still you should be covered throughout the entire US, correct?
1: Yeah, you're good, no problem at all. The only thing that we'll want to do is just update update your address with the insurance company so they know where you are. It's not going to have any bearing on your policy. The only bearing that a move could have is if you're going to buy more I'd say either a new policy or you're potentially exercising an increase option with a company that's going to use where you are then currently residing, you got to do a little planning in advance of the move to see if you can better protect yourself at a lower cost.
0: Okay. Totally understand. And uh, just a question or two before we go ahead and wrap up here. A lot of people, especially even myself when I was first starting off, was had no idea what a, for a resident- what a decent price was to be paying monthly for disability insurance. Like, I mean, how much should you be putting aside for this? Should you be putting aside a hundred bucks, $300, 500? Like what is a, I guess a reasonable price for a resident. And, and then I guess later on as an attending, it, it, it probably varies on how much did you want? And then if you have multiple policies, but what is this like a decent monthly price that, you know, that for a resident or even like a PA or somebody that, that you can just, be like, okay, this is this is normal. You know, this is not these aren't astronomical numbers.
1: Yeah. I, I would say if I'm using a gender distinct rate, you know, so for every thousand dollars of benefit you're buying, a male should probably be about $30 a month, $35 a month. A female should be more like $50, $55 a month. Again, if you have a unisex rate, it's going to bring the female rate much closer to what the male rate is. But I've got something. I deem this the lease with the option to buy plan. Yeah. And you'd be surprised how many broke neurosurgeons, orthopedic surgeons, plastic surgeons I have running around. And they're like, Larry, look, I totally get it. You don't have to convince me that disability insurance is important. I know my entire financial future is really based on my brain and my hands, but I don't really have a lot of money to allocate towards premiums now so you could lead me to water, but I got to tell you, I can't really drink. Yeah. Well, you could buy a policy with a B rider from certain companies for literally $25 or $35 a month. If you're a guy, if you're a female, I don't know, maybe $50, $60 a month, you got $1,000. You never have to do another exam, blood test, urine test, answer a medical question again. And that could be cranked up to Twenty or even $30,000 a month when you finish your training. So some agents you'll talk to will be like, well, doc, if your budget is limited, just buy a smaller benefit or take off the Cola rider, take off the catastrophic rider. I'm like, look, you don't need to do any of that. Remember, if you have a contractual right to be able to buy more and you have all the riders that you want, just buy a small policy with a monster increase option if it allows for it. And then when you're done with your training and your income goes up by multiples, you can go ahead and you can just do that. The only thing that you're going to have to tell me about is what is your guaranteed salary? What are your future long-term disability benefits going to be? And what state are you going to? But you've protected your entire financial future for somewhere between, you know, 30 bucks a month, 50 bucks a month, it's a great deal. In some cases, an F rider, for example, let's just say you had a $5,000 benefit, that's you know pretty much the resident maximum. And let's say you were buying three times multiple, so a $15,000 future increase option rider, literally the cost of that rider alone might be $50 a month. And here I am telling you as a female, for the same $50, the cost of the FIO rider, you get $1,000 a month of benefit, and you could potentially get up to twenty or $30,000 a month. That seems like a pretty good deal to me. So it's not my recommendation. That's not what I would say is, oh yeah, jam your foot in the door and you're golden. Right. I would say it's not a recommendation, but if my choice is I either buy nothing and I'm playing Russian roulette with my health or I buy a small amount of coverage that can really be expanded later on, I'm going with that. And I got to tell you, a lot of the podcasts I listen to and a lot of the blogs that I read, because I am a financial guy at heart, most of them don't talk about the defense. They're all about, well, what about investing in crypto? What about putting money into a IRA or a Roth IRA? I got to tell you, if you're building a house and you're a halfway decent contractor, you should know you got to dig the basement first and put up the foundation. A Roth IRA is a great thing. Paying down your med school debt, it's a great thing. But if you're too sick or hurt to work and now you could never take what you did, your education, training, and experience, physical skills and mental skills and create that to professional athlete income, you really got a lot of risk. And for a small amount of money, you could protect your entire financial future. That's the first thing that I'd be looking at.
0: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And Larry, I I learned a lot just from talking to you in this short amount of time. Definitely appreciate all the things that you've uh, taught me. And then for everybody listening, hopefully I I know that they've gained some value as well. Anything else that you want to let the listeners know about, you know, disability insurance or any you know kind of kind of last words that you want to other people know about?
1: Yeah, I would just say if you guys can do medicine and surgery, this is not complicated. You know, literally, you're talking about a handful of companies. You're talking about minimal differences from one company to another, other than pricing. Like, if I told you you could only do six procedures or you could only prescribe six drugs, I would say you better know them pretty well. Like, you should have an idea of the cost, you should have an idea of the side effects. And part of the doctor patient relationship is you should have an idea of my social status you should get an idea of what I'm all about. It really should be a consultative process where you're using education, training, and experience of the agent or planner as a resource or as a sounding board. Not, hey doc, I got something that you should buy. Here it is, take it or leave it. It really should be, we're on the same side of the table. I wanna be talking to you throughout your entire career as a sounding board. So I'm in it for the long haul. You know, Meet you while you're young give you great advice, grow with you as you grow and become a trusted resource rather than what everybody thinks of like, oh God, you know, here comes the phone call. I don't want to deal with this. Every time this guy calls, he's got his hands in my scrub pockets. It's just just not the way I want to live my life.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, again, we appreciate you uh, for coming on the podcast and and talking to us again, a lot about disability insurance and uh, dropping a lot of knowledge on it. I really appreciate you for uh, coming on the podcast. No,
1: well, greatly appreciate it. If anyone has any questions or you want me to review your existing policy or you want me to even review something you're considering, you can feel free to drop me an email. It's L Keller, L-K-E-L-L-E-R, at physician, no S on the end, financialservices.com, or give me a call, 516-677-6211. Again, don't fear me. Use me as a resource. I'm happy to help.
0: Yep, and we'll put all that information in the uh, podcast description as well for everybody to reach out to you if they have any questions. Without further ado, we hope everybody enjoyed this episode and stay tuned for the next. Thank you all for listening to yet another episode of the Nailed Ortho Podcast. We hope that you really enjoyed this episode with Larry and Disability Insurance because we covered a lot, a lot of information that I actually wish that I knew earlier on in my so-called career when I first started residency. So without further ado, we will see you all next time.
2: Material discussed is meant to be for general information purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Optional riders are available for an additional premium. Some policy benefits and features are not available to all occupations. Berkshire Life Insurance Company of America is a wholly owned stock subsidiary of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America. This material contains the current opinions of the presenters, but not necessarily those of the Guardian or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice. ASPS, Enhanced for Your Practice podcast, and J. Rowe are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Physician Financial Services, and opinions stated are their own. Lawrence Keller is a registered representative and financial advisor of Hark. Avenue Services, LLC, 355 Lexington Avenue, 9th floor, New York, New York, 1001-6603, phone number 212-541-8800. Securities, products, and advisory services are offered through PAS, phone number 1516-677-6200, financial representative, the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Position: Financial Services is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. AR Life editors. this. AR Insurance License Number 1057229CA, Insurance License Number 0C37340. PAS is a member of FINRA and SIPC. Forbes Best In-State Top Financial Security Professional Award is not issued or endorsed by Guardian or subsidiaries. It is based on criteria developed and obtained by Shock Research LLC. No compensation was provided in connection with obtaining this rating. However, advisors may choose to pay Forbes and show for its usage rights of the ranking logo. Past performance is not an indication of future results. 2023-165269, expiration 11 2025